Hello and welcome to the Darlow Fans Radio December podcast. Now before we get started I do want to just reassure you that we're not sat at sections of this podcast in a very small bathroom. At times it sounds like we might be but I can reassure you that we're not. I hope it doesn't uh, spoil your enjoyment of the podcast and hopefully uh, under our Christmas tree Santa will bring us a new podcast microphone or two. Enjoy the podcast and Merry Christmas. Hello and welcome to the Darlow Fans Radio Christmas Podcast. We're here once again at the Forum Music Centre in Darlington to bring you all the news, views and discussion on all things Darlington. I'm Stuart Armstrong and I'll be hosting this Christmas podcast, which is just as well as it's given me something to think about during this spell of weather, which has resulted in postponements, pitch inspections and predictions around when we'll actually get the chance to get back out on the pitch to get some points. There's a lot of peas in there. I'm delighted as ever to be joined by some of Darlow's finest minds here at the Forum. So I'm happy once again to introduce this month's team. First up, we've got back-end developer Michael Price, who is totally responsible for how any of what we produce ever gets to you through the miracle of technology and podcast distribution, as, as well as offering up wise words and contributions in the show itself. Evening, Michael. Good evening, Stu. And we've also got, once again, Kev Luff, who, as well as being with us during the podcast, stays up to burn the midnight oil, editing it all together so it's all squeaky clean and ready to go for you as well. Evening, Kev. Evening. We've got the Northern Echoes Darlington specialist, Craig Stoddart. Evening, Stu. Evening, Craig, collector of uh, match-worn shirts over the years, and now also, hopefully, since we last spoke, owner of two decent knees after his recent op. <laughs> well, maybe one still, and the other one's work in progress. <laughs> and we've also got a debutante with us this evening, so it's our great pleasure to welcome podcast virgin Andrew Simpson. Andy started off this whole DFR jamboree four years ago, which begs the question probably, Andy, could you ever have imagined that this would lead you here tonight in a darkened room talking to four men? Good evening, no I couldn't. <laughs> Gents, thanks a great deal for being here with us this evening. So, during this month's podcast, we'll be covering a range of subjects to keep you entertained as you go about your daily business. You must also tell us where you listen to us, by the way. We'll be discussing our FA Trophy elimination. We'll be taking a festive look back at our favourite Darlow Christmas moments. We'll be looking around the rest of the National League North with Simon Hahn. We'll be trying to pick the bones out of recent fans' forums, or the recent fans' forum, including what we know about Sport and Village and what we don't. And to finish off, we'll be celebrating Reese Steicher's goal-scoring debut by picking our favourite ever Darlow centre-forwards. And with centre-forwards as well, we've also got a little festive uh, moment for you with uh, some words from Robbie Painter, the famous Robbie Painter. So lots to keep you listening over your turkey and mulled wine. So chaps, it's been a bit weird, hasn't it? We saw a few games to talk about since we were last here. How on earth have you been filling your time? Well, I've been filling my time in by scouting games against Blythe and Salford. <laughs> um, with the whole idea being that obviously we're going to play Salford fairly recently, I thought we'll, we'll try and have a watch of them and get the, run the rule off them. And obviously that never transpired, did it? <laughs> <laughs> no, it didn't. It didn't. Mike, what have you been up to? Um, a combination of Christmas shopping and staring longingly at flash scores, waiting to see our name on it again, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and Andy, busy time here for you on uh, as, uh, as Shilden's answer to Uber. Busy time for you guys. Yeah, really busy at the minute. Bloody V8 tonight, to be honest with you. I know, and so you're, you're uh, back at work after you dodge your knees, aren't you? Yeah, back at work, and it's been quite weird on a Saturday. I have matches to cover every, obviously apart from going to the matches. 
sat nights I'm normally doing the rock reports for me. Sat nights have been a bit blank lately. I've been up and down the country to see the Tartans and to see Kazavian, so I quite enjoy myself. Good, good. Well, I made most of it. And who knows when you're going to next get a game to get in the way of your social life as well. It might be a while longer yet. <laughs> we don't have the best run at Christmas time. But the one game we have had uh, since we last were here on a Darlow Fans Radio podcast was a narrow defeat on a chilly Friday night to high-flying Harrogate Town. And immediately after the game, Mike and I gave our thoughts on what was a game that could have gone either way. So, Stu, um, Darlington 2, Harrogate 3. Just talk us through what you made of that one. I thought the first half not a great deal happened, if I'm honest. I thought Darlington were the better team for the first half of it. Uh, without creating many chances or shots on target. I think Harrogate then came right back into it and probably edged that second period in the first half. But all the talking points in the game happened after half-time, didn't they? And uh, it's it's it swung both ways, both teams in the lead. Uh, Darlington, Darlington, were given a, Darlington were given a free shot of goal when Jack Van went sliding in on yeah. Greg Mills in the box. Mills did well to get it on the outside, but Van dived in, conceded the... Conceded the soft penalty, Stijs took it away, but then when Harrogate just turned up the energy, didn't they? Turned up the dial and the intensity a little yeah, bit, Darlington couldn't live you with could, them. You could tell that you could see the difference in Harrogate's play once they went a goal behind. They had that, you know, maybe that we don't have when you're a part time team. They had that extra gear to go up, and, and suddenly the pace of their play increased. And, uh, and of course, four minutes later, they got their reward when um, Viljinski conceded a penalty from which Joe Leasley was able to put them. Uh, to put them back on terms and then four minutes later um, they work a ball out to the right hand side and in it comes Lachlan Barr um, off the bench in the first half gives Harrogate the lead I mean you can't fault the second goal at least it was a very good move it was a good move they had that quality but they've been able to spend in the summer they've been able to bring in the players that they want on full time contracts Uh, so they're always going to have some quality about them and you just felt didn't you that Darlington and I think we might have even said it on commentary when Darlington went 1-0 up it was vitally important that they just just kept the door closed for 10 minutes just to give themselves a chance just to you know maintain that foothold in the game and they weren't able to do that unfortunately and then 2-1 2-1 down, they didn't give in. Uh, Tommy and Alan, uh, Tommy made substitutions. Uh, I thought Harvey Saunders, again, when he came on, he terrifies people. He really does. On the right-hand side in the corner there, putting a great cross in for the goal. I think he's a bright spark. I think he honestly is. But the story of the night from a Darlington attacking perspective was Steicher's barnstorm and run for the second goal where he just shrugged people off, got there ahead of the goalkeeper and, and equalised. And at that point, if you were going to ask me, I'd have said if any of the teams were going to win it, it was going to be us. They were happy for 2-2. Yeah. You saw their coaching staff down here, calm down lads, calm down, let's play for 2-2. Uh, I, I think if anyone at that point with 10-15 minutes to go was going to win it, it was going to be us. Certainly at that point, we'd made the three substitutions. We had the fresher legs certainly up front with, you know, um, Gillies, Caton and Saunders all being on alongside Stash and you think you know, if we can use that pace, their, their defence is going to tire, it's going to get tired and, and, and we can exploit that. But then, unfortunately, um, we concede a, a questionable free kick. Just, I mean, I mean it, it, we keep using the word questionable and we keep using the word unlucky. It's, it's possibly coming across a little sour grapes-ish, but, you know, we are Darlow fans radio. We uh, try to be unbiased yeah. and professional, but when we see a questionable decision either way, we have to call it, don't we? I think we do. We try not to be too biased. We do try not to be too biased, don't we? But Sai is slid in on the ball and a nothing challenge in the halfway line, and he has not made any contact with Absolutely the opposition not. player. Now, I don't need I don't need a review. I don't need a highlight tape to show me that he slid in. He hasn't got the ball. Phil Turnbull's reaction summed up. He was he was he went crackers, didn't he? Because he knew it wasn't a free kick. So Darling go from a chance where they got a chance to counter attack with Trotman on the right hand side. Referee pulls them back. But what I will say, Mike is. 
because from that point, Darlington have two opportunities to defend a set piece. They've got the first opportunity where the lad's delivery is good, puts it in the back stick, and it's David Sires actually who has to hook it behind for a corner. And then they've got the chance to to defend the second uh, the second set piece, which is the corner of the score from as well. So, so whilst we're you know we're furious <laughs> about the the free kick, you know it, it, they've yeah. still got two there's chances. A full, there's to a full minute and a half isn't yeah. there between that free kick being taken and then them actually scoring a winning goal from it. And we're still. We're still not 100% on who actually got that final header on it. Um, no, no, nobody up on the balcony could see. I mean, it was very good delivery. It was an in-swinging corner, and he's got across the front post and got a flick header in, in, in the back yeah. end, hasn't he? And I think, you know, we, we're, not, we're not entitled to be, do, to be performing and beating these full-time teams with bigger budgets than we've got. We're really not. But if, if you're playing against them, it's hard enough to win the game once. Yeah. But having to try and win it twice is hard. Um, and when we got ourselves in front and, and just, I think that was the turning point. That, that equalising goal, the first equalising goal for Harrogate was the turning point for Darlington tonight. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a, it, it feels like Saturday again where we can't, once again, we can't really fault our performance. We've taken a, full team, a full-time team who are second in the league um, you know, we've taken them all the way and it's taken them until sort of the just about 89th, 88th, 89th minute to uh, to actually get a foothold into the game from which they were able to win to win the match. Obviously, they did have the lead, but we pegged them back again. We had the lead at one point and, um, you know, we can once again take a lot of heart from the performance, but unfortunately, heart doesn't get you into the first round drawer and uh, we still wait for that performance to, uh, to or for a performance to bring the result we feel it deserves I think so and we don't want to sound like a broken record you know and I'm, I'm sure that the two guys down there in the changing rooms will 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 not be saying well, well we deserve these performances we deserve something from it you know they'll be saying our oh, lads we need <laughs> you know this is this is got to trans- transfer into some points on the board and some cup victories and what have you but yet again I think the performance was better I mean we were let's be honest Mike we had six weeks down here where we were horrible you know going back a couple of months ago we were horrible every week um, and, and the last two home games we haven't been we've been we've been good we've looked good going forward today we looked as if we had a goal threat yeah uh, we weren't carving them open but we created chances we got the ball in the final third uh, I think we just about you know just about deserved to be ahead one nil um, but in fairness to Harrogate Town they're a good team and when they turned the when they turned the dial up they, they were strong they were a good team so disappointing that we couldn't improve on what's become a terrible running cup competitions lately but again there were some signs of improvement I thought on the night guys Definitely agree with that. Um, I thought we were unlucky not to have at least taken it to a replay, um, considering we were playing a side who I think at the time was second in the league. Um, and with the run of form that we've been on, and everybody knows obviously how well we normally do in cups and trophies, um, we gave them a heck of a battle. And uh, I think a replay was the least we deserved from that. And it was just a shame that we weren't able to secure it. Yeah, Kevin. Look, the game when they went, they went ahead, and when the game, the game turned on the penalty. I thought there was po- there was positives there. And I think that's generally been the theme since Tommy took over, hasn't it? Really, there has been positives there. It's just a case of can we, you know, can we go long enough without conceding the goal and maybe get a couple more at the other end? Because, like I say, I don't think we're a million miles off, really. Yeah, Craig. Do you think? Do you think you agree with that? Do you think there's some signs of improvement in the last handful of games? I think the general the general message that came up with that one was that we didn't depend too badly 
didn't play too badly. We just conceded sloppy goals. Goals we did, goals we did concede were a bit cheap, and obviously on the back of that, Tommy signed a new goalkeeper. Um, and you will see him shortly. Whenever next on next player, he, he, he'll start. So yeah, there were some positive signs to take from there, and but it's, uh, we need to start seeing some. Start need to see some sort of improvement. Now it's no good seeing little patches and games which are. Okay, we need to put it all together and actually have a result now. I, I think that's, I think that's um, what you said was, you know, case of improving. Um, you know, it's it's all very well talking about the improvement. And, you know how we we are seeing sort of green shoots. At some point, you've got to stop talking about winning the game and go on and actually do it on the pitch. Haven't you? And I think that's possibly the stage of stage we're at now, where we we have. We have done better. We've looked more positive. We look better going forward, especially since uh, I think Reece Dice came to the club. I, I thought we looked much more dangerous going forward. It's a case now of you've got to stop talking about winning the next game and actually go go and win the next game, haven't you? Yeah, you do. And, and I think the game on, on Saturday as well. We'll perhaps talk about where we are in the season in a little minute and what we've got coming up next. So we will do it at some point in the podcast certainly. But Saturday, assuming it goes ahead. Uh, I'm no expert on Lincolnshire's microclimate, but that game of Gainsborough looks like a big one, doesn't it? Yeah, I think uh, a few weeks ago I would have said, you know, just go there and maybe don't get beat. You know, first and foremost, don't get beat. But I think given the few results that have happened elsewhere in the league uh, over the last few weeks, it all seems to have bunched up a little bit at the bottom. You know, the likes of FC United who looked well and truly out of it at one stage a few weeks ago and struck a few wins together and now all of a sudden you think you're going in that game you think well actually we probably need to win this one yeah I think so I think so well we'll come back anyway and look at the the league Simon's got his roundup of, of the National League North which we'll come to in a minute but with this being our festive special our Christmas special we figured it wouldn't be a Christmas special podcast without taking a look back and thinking of our favourite ever festive moments down the years. So we thought we'd do just that. So if I start, Michael, with you on this one, if you look back through your Darlow supporting years, what's the Christmas memory that stands out for you? Um, I'm not going to go back very far, truth be told. I'm only going back a year. Um, I mean, let's be honest, the way the weather tends to be around here, we don't get too many games around Christmas time anyway. But uh, I'm only going to go back a year. Uh, to Boxing Day last year, which was, of course, the game against Halifax Town that was memorable for being the first game we played Blackwell Meadows um, after five years at Bishop. Um, so memorable in the sense that it was our homecoming. Um, and, of course, you know, we won 3-2, which was a bonus. Um, and uh, I got the uh, the honour of actually commentating on that one. Um, I suppose opening the, the Dialogue Fans Radio account at Blackwell Meadows so for me, that was uh, a pretty memorable day. It was a great day, wasn't it? And that's one that's just close to the close to all of our memories. We can all remember that one. And I remember give Kev some kudos here. I remember he did a, a compilation on uh, on YouTube, I think, on that night of the kind of the first day back, and he found some sultry music as he tends to do from time to time and put it on. And if I'm not mistaken, I think I had a little tear in my eye watching that after the uh, return. Back home. I mean, I think since then I've had tears in my eyes for different reasons, but that, that one was an emotional one, wasn't it? It was great to be back in the town. It certainly was. Yeah, it wasn't that bad, was it? <laughs> it was just something about it. It was when the little child <laughs> came through the turnstile. That was the one for me that got me. I had a little, I had a little sob at that. But yeah, good. Craig, what, what, what do you have? You, you've been, you've got a couple of decades now at least, maybe even a little more watching Darlington over the years. Is there any, any funny moments that stand out for you or any, 
any Christmas memories that you've got? Do you know what? I was just writing yesterday about um, 1997, two. so 20 years ago, you know, yeah, 20 years ago, during the Green Max Field 4-2 on Boxing Day. Uh, so, yeah, 20, 20 years ago. I, I, I enjoyed that. was a great performance at the time. I remember it played very well. Uh, Mario O'Donnell scored twice. Um, Michael Oliver had, had a good game that day. So I enjoyed that one. I mean, then didn't win again on Boxing Day for 15 years. We, we, we were terrible on Boxing Day. <laughs> <laughs> where, where Still. I yeah, where I didn't play because it was postponed, or when we did play, obviously we, we lost or drew. And we didn't, didn't win until 2012. We've uh, actually won our last three on Boxing Day, by the way. So not a bad spell. Did you say about 15 years without winning on Boxing Day? Yeah, between 97 and, and 2012. Yeah. yeah, there you go. I've got more written down here, you know. You can ask, feel free to ask me any questions you like about boxing do. <laughs> yeah, we um, like a man who takes this seriously. Yeah, but yeah, 2006, that was a, it's, that's a bizarre one. It's the one that always stands out for me for some reason. It was just the odd, unusual circumstances. Um, obviously, no no, uh, no social media back then, 2006. So, and that was the time people may have forgotten where we had the virus went through the squad. Players were struggling to train. I think we were down eight or nine players in the previous training session before the match. Um, and David Penny ended up making four changes. He gave a game to Sean Ray, who was his first and only start back then, back in that period. He was 17 at the time. Um, it also came Mark Albright and him. He was a defender David Penny brought in. He made only his third start, third and last. Uh, who else came in? Anthony Griffith, on loan from Doncaster. He, he played all two games. <laughs> it was like, I don't remember him at all. Yeah, exactly. It, was, it felt like a reserve team. It felt like a, it was like a big match. You get a good attendance in Boxing Day. And then people turned up and, it, and there was a it looks disbelief among the crowd watching here. Because the word had spread clearly that there was a virus in the squad and that's why all these Nomarks. Callum, Callum Goma, the big tall uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. from France, who to my knowledge, still lives in the North East, still lives in Stockton. I saw him a few months ago. And Mark Suspense is taking some shoes back. <laughs> <laughs> you might be listening, you better be complimentary. <laughs> Big fella. Um, yeah, so that was that was an odd one. Mansfield got beat 2-0. And uh, that was in the middle of this 15-year barren period that we had. Unlike now, we're, we're in the glory days now. These are healthier days. We've won three in a row on Boxing Day. I know it's the one thing that struck me when I started to do this because I, th I thought this would be a good thing to talk about and I went through the I went started to look back through the books and we're, we're horrendous aren't we until the last few years I yeah. mean decades worth of misery I don't know how many Christmases Darwin Football Club has spoiled over the years <laughs> but it seems to be almost every one you have to go back a long way to find <laughs> to find a good one Kev what, what do you have around this time well I, I looked through all the Boxing Day fixtures like you guys did and there seemed to be a surprising number of games against Carlisle <laughs> yeah. and no, nobody wants to go to Carlisle then, let's be honest um, um, so I went for Rotherham 1, Dalton 2 in 2010. Um, I think we were absolutely awful that season. I can't remember who was in charge at the time, whether it was Staunton or, or whoever was in charge, but we were we were awful that season. I think it was a, a very, very was, rare yeah. win full stop. Yeah, I remember it. Remember, it was it. a Tad Purcell and Gary Smith scoring, I think. And if I remember right, it was that the first game we'd won in like ages as well. Yeah, we, we were awful that season. Truly yeah. awful. <laughs> yeah, terrible no. days. Terrible days. Yeah, I'm sending send a shiver, send a Christmas shiver down my spine even thinking about that season. <laughs> Andy, Christmas memories. Reminds me of this barren spell that we went on back in 2000. We played Chesterfield away. <laughs> I remember we'd sat in a wooden stand over at Salt Gate, I think Chesterfield's ground was called at the time. 
86 minutes in, Darlow hadn't had one shot on target. <laughs> the fans started singing, we only want one shot. And I think someone like Mark Ford had a shot about 40 yards. Went off for three, probably. <laughs> but it cheered everyone up. <laughs> it's a long drive back, isn't it? It is, yeah. The, the, the kids of today, the kids of this generation don't know how they're born, do they? <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> Well, I'm going back. I'm going back a bit further because, as we say, we, we realised we didn't have a very good record in this. So, for the older listeners out there, this is a game I can just about remember. It's from the promotion season, '84, '85, and it was a rare Boxing Day when we played Tranmere Rovers on Boxing Day. I know this because I'm looking at it in front of me, and the, the goal scorers in front of an impressive crowd, six thousand one hundred eight. We had that day at Featham's. I was there, absolutely bouncing. Um, Mark Forster. I don't know if anybody remembers him. I'm looking around here. I think I'm the oldest here, unfortunately. There's a lot of blank faces. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna, this next one's definitely going to have you there. Kevin Todd, the second one. We've got older listeners, so they'll appreciate that. Anyway, Mark Forster and Kevin Todd in a 2-1 home uh, victory on Boxing Day, 6,108 in, in attendance. Featham's was rocking, and it was a good season because we went on to get promotion that season. That was the kind of Carl Airy, Phil Lloyd days. And again, there's not exactly wonderful recognition of those names around this room either, but that was my first promotion season and I think if I'm not mistaken and I'm going to look down here at my lap here it's also the season that shortly after that we had the famous Middlesbrough uh, FA Cup replay victory I think we had about 15,000 in that night or something like that. so that's the sort of era but that was a Boxing Day win at least Did you know that Middlesbrough Cup game? I did you know? I went to the away game and the home game You know your parents were concerned for you uh, parents took me yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I remember it, it, and we were we were in the open end. Funny, you know, oh, not in the, we were we were alongside the open end. But a bit that was between the east stand mm-hmm. and the open end. There was a little like parallel to the eighteen-yard box. So obviously, all the Middlesbrough fans were down the way at the left. And uh, I remember my dad taking us down. God bless him. And we put our flask in the snow banks at the side from the the pile all the snow up on the side against the uh, the what you call it the advertising hall. So mm-hmm. I we stuck our flask in there. We probably I probably made him get there about four thirty to make sure we could get a view. And uh, it was a brilliant night, absolutely brilliant night. And the one, the one 2-1, and when we went 2 the up, obviously all the Middlesbrough fans ran on the pitch for a good argy-bargy. And uh, I must admit, because you're with your dad, you're not scared, are you? I thought it was great fun at the time, <laughs> seeing all these people kicking the heck out of each other. But yeah, that was the season anyway. Yeah, well, well I suppose it's not really a boxing game, memory. you've promoted post me discussing that sport. That's well, you asked me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm blaming myself for taking off on a tangent. But yeah, um, I wish... I'm a bit, a bit too young for that, and I kind of wish others all missed out. Not just the Middlesbrough game, that that season, the '85, you know, the mid '80 promotion season, I missed out on all that because it was just a little bit before my time. I started going in the conference '89 onwards, '89, '90, up to my first regular season. So um, you, I missed out on that one there. I wish I was there. Uh, that was a good one. It was a good one. Oh, and soon, just before the sort of Brian little success in '89, mm. that, that Middlesbrough game seems to be. You know, whatever you talk about, there must have been thousands upon thousands there. Because every time you mention it, people say, "Oh, I was there." Yeah. You know, it's one of those. It's become one of those pictures, hasn't it, where everyone was there, and uh, yeah, it almost seems to be like a badge of honour now, doesn't it? Because wasn't there a big scrap on the, the cricket pitch after the game? There was scraps. There was scraps before the game, after the game, during the game, also half time. It was uh, it was back in the days when it when having a good dust up at the football seemed to attract quite a lot of people. But yeah, it was uh, it was. It was a good night anyway. An enjoyable tangent. A tangent, but an enjoyable <laughs> tangent nonetheless anyway. And I'm showing me, I start showing me age. So, I think between them all, there's some, some great festive memories there. There's also some pretty tragic ones, if we're honest. <laughs> but let's hope at least that this bunch that we've got in 2017 can go make us 
some memorable Christmas memories this year. You never know, maybe there'll be somebody sitting in a studio here in 20 years' time talking about the, the late winner against Harrogate Town on Boxing Day or something like that. Let's, uh, let's hope that's the case. So, moving on a little bit, whilst we're always focused here on the Quakers, we want to make sure that we keep you up to date with the rest of the goings-on in the Banarama National League North as well. So just before we recorded this, I uh, caught up with Darlington FC's uh, kind of official non-league correspondent, Simon Hahn. And I started by asking him if he thought leaders Salford already had the league tied up by Christmas. I, I can't see anything other than Salford's winning the title now. I mean, at, at the moment, eight points clear. Brackley in second, they've played a game more as well. There's only potentially Brackley or Harrogate, I think, who could, who could catch Salford, but the, the record they've had so far this season has been absolutely brilliant. Um, I, just, I just can't see any way that they're going to be stopped. They've only lost twice, once to us, and then Leamington, that's all season. Um, they'd, have to, they'd have to lose five or six in a quick succession for anybody else to have a chance, and just, I just can't see that happening. It looks that way, doesn't it? I think we caught them on a, at the right time of the season, didn't we? First game before they perhaps got settled and beat them 2-0 on the opening day. But since then, they've been absolutely relentless. And I think, like you say, after that, it becomes a question of who's going to make the run for those playoff places. Who have you got in uh, in mind that might do that? Um, at the moment, I think Brackley and Harrogate have got a bit of a barrier. Um, they've got a five-point gap down to Blythe and fourth. So I think them two should be safe come, a- come April. Um, Blythe and Spennymoor have had great seasons so far and like, I'd like to think that both of them are able to hold, hold the spots but there's a lot of big teams just outside the playoffs at the moment um, I know our, our friend at York is only a couple of points outside Stockport have picked up as well in recent months and Bradford and Bradford and Har- uh, Kidderminster sorry, are in the, the last two places at the moment but I think it's anyone from about down to York and 11th I think anyone could get in um, if I'm picking picking right now, I'd say Brackley, Harrogate, Blythe, Spennymoor, Kidderminster, and Charlie. I'll go for. Yeah, so no York on that list then. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully York don't don't quite make it. But he's, the results haven't really picked up since since he's gone down there. So. May take him a bit longer. May take him a bit longer. Yeah, maybe. And what about the what about down at the bottom then, Simon? I know we're hoping not to be involved with anything too messy down there. North Ferriby looks stuffed, yeah. don't they? Really, only on seven points so far. But what about those other teams hovering around that relegation zone? How do you see that one playing out? I think again, if I said anyone from York and up could be in the playoffs, I think anybody from the team below them, Telford, anyone from there in twelfth down could be in trouble. There's only Five points between twelve, uh, Telford and twelve, and Nuneaton, who were second bottom at the moment. I think. I mean, FC United have picked up a lot recently, and they've sort of dragged themselves out of the bottom too. Um, but I think for me, the one is Southport. They're in a very similar position to ourselves. I think they started off the season pretty much a similar record to us, the way they'd won the first three or four, and then since then they've barely barely picked up a win at all. Um, the fourth bottom at the moment. If their form keeps going the way it is, I think they'll be. I think they'll possibly go down um, with North Ferriby. Nuneaton again. Nuneaton have struggled since um, since Tommy left for ourselves. Um, I don't know. Hopefully we will. Hopefully, like you said, we won't be involved. Soon. We can um, we can pick ourselves up a bit to get get out of danger. But North Ferriby look completely gone. I'd, I'd go with Southport and 
even on eating our games for at the moment, yeah. hopefully. Hopefully that's a free. <laughs> I think you're looking right, yeah, and hopefully we can clear hopefully we can get some games on and get some a chance to put some points on the board and clear away from all that nonsense down there anyway. You mentioned when you were talking about the playoffs a little bit earlier on, a couple of the North East teams and really if you look at the North East in, in general you'd you've got to say Blythe Spartans spending were absolutely flying really and exceeding expectations, aren't they? What do you make of how, how they've done so far in, in this first year in this league? Yeah, they've, they've, they've both been fantastic. I think when when they came up, I think myself and probably a lot of other Darlington fans would think after how we got on last season, I'd have thought top ten for them, maybe an outside shout at the playoffs. But both have been both have been doing fantastically. Um, Alan Armstrong's obviously done done a great job in his in the couple of years that he's been at Blythe now, um, and I've, I've been to see Spenny Moore quite a few times this season, and they just look like. Um, a good unit from from back to front. They've got Joe Tate still leading the way in defence for them. Very vocal as he was with us, um, but he's a very good organiser. And at the other end of the pitch, they've got a lot of different creative options. Um, David Foley who came from South Shields, and um, a young lad up front, Glenn Taylor, who's very very good. Um, I think they both they both put themselves in a position where they should finish should finish in the top seven, and from there, it's with a new playoff system, it's it's anyone's game really. So either of them could either of them could end up um, going straight up again. Yeah. I think. Yeah, and congratulations to both of them as well. I think they'll be sitting down to Sunday or Christmas dinner, won't they? Both Alan Armstrong and uh, and Jason Ainsley satisfied with how that first half of the season's gone. I'm, I'm sure they've both been impressive. Haven't seen both of them this year as well. Both good teams. And if we start thinking about the festive period, normally it's uh, in most of the leagues, it's a game packed full of fixtures. But in this league, really, it's not so heavy, is it? We've got Boxing Day, we've got New Year's Day, double header. If you look up and down the league and look at those Boxing Day and New Year's Day fixtures. Are there any of those that catch your eye, Simon? Um, There's a few, to be honest. The, the North East sides, Blythe and Spenny were playing each other. Um, first games at Blythe on Boxing Day and then the return at the Brewery Field on New Year's Day. That's it's a huge, huge double-header for both of them. I mean, if, if one of them was to win both, ga- both games, the other one could easily find themselves just outside outside of the playoff spots after, after those games. Um Salford are playing um, local rivals FC United as well. Who, like I said earlier on, FC United, especially at home, um, I think they've won about five or six in a row. They've picked up massively, and I think they could they could potentially could potentially trouble Salford if um, if they've had a bit too much on on Christmas Day. Perfect, and ourselves uh, ourselves up and down to Harrogate as well. Would you want to make a prediction for for those ones? Let's just keep it to the Boxing Day one at home, and let's hope that we we get there. And what, what do you think? You, I'm assuming that you were at the game a couple of weeks ago against Harrogate. How do you think? How do you fancy our chances in that one? Um, I, I missed missed the game a couple of weeks ago. Actually, it was at, at Kasabian Kasabian Geek in Newcastle. <laughs> um, but everything everything that came out from everyone who was at the game. We it sounded like we played very well. Stice scored a couple of goals, um, and I think the last few games before this little break that we've had with the weather were were very encouraging. Um, that game, the Tamworth game, I think it was where we lost one nil, and the Kidderminster game. There was a lot, lot of good points, particularly going forward. So I think we've got we've got the potential to trouble Harrogate, especially at home. Um, I'll go two two. Hopefully, we can nick a point and get. Get try and get a bit of bit of momentum going to get us away from the bottom three. 
Good one. Well, thanks so much, Simon. Thanks for helping us take a look around the rest of the league there. And uh, thanks for all the work that you do for the official club as well. And perhaps we'll uh, talk again next month and see how accurate some of those predictions were over the Christmas period. Thanks a lot, Simon. That's great. Right. Thanks, Jim. So thanks uh, to Simon for bringing us that roundup from the Vanarama National League North. Chaps, here's a question for you. Are you looking upwards optimistically or are you looking over your shoulder nervously? Uh, well, you've only got to look at the tables, Steve, haven't you? And we have to be looking over our shoulder. It's one point at the stands. It's a moment in time. Speaking of Tommy, he just didn't really think we can still go off the playoffs. And he's not just trying to put a spin on it and trying to be optimistic and everything else. He just generally thinks the playoffs are still within reach because he goes back to last year when he took over and eaten the one eight games in advance. Uh, he thinks we can do that again. Realistically, you've got to look at our form over the last couple of months, two, three, four months. Our form is awful. Our fixtures the next few weeks aren't easy. We've got to be thankful for just staying up, to be blunt about it. I'm not trying to be having a pop there and be negative. That's just realistic. We're one point off the relegation places as we speak. We've won one game in 17 in the last 17 league games. I'm happy to stay up, Tommy. Never mind. <laughs> Never mind the playoffs. Yeah, um, I think Craig um, probably hit the nail on the head there. I know which direction I want to be looking, um, but you can't ignore the fact that we are nine points off that playoff target at the moment and one point off the bottom three and the team we face on Saturday is the team who are a point behind us. Um, you talk about sort of Harrogate being a difficult doubleheader over Boxing Day and New Year's, but Gainsborough, um, although they are 20th, they're actually in better form at the moment looking at the last eight games and they are in slightly better form. They're, they're pulling themselves out of that relegation zone and we run the risk on Saturday if we're not careful um, of them dragging us into it on their way out. Um, it's not what I want to happen. Um, you know, one of the things that, that we um, that, that we're hearing a lot is if we get the one win, Alan White said it a lot, if we get that one win, more will follow. We do need to start putting that run together sooner rather than <laughs> later. Um, otherwise, I think there's only one direction a lot of people are going to be looking, even if they want to be optimistic about it. We have to be realistic as well. Kev, you'll be there on Saturday, I'm sure, on a gantry or with a camera somewhere or other. It's a big game, isn't it, on Saturday? It's a massive game on Saturday. I think, um, like I was saying earlier in the show, uh, a few weeks ago you would have said go there and <clears throat> just make sure you don't get beat. I think now we're talking about going there and making sure you have three points. Uh, as uh, Michael said, you know, if we uh, if we don't get anything out of that game, then all of a sudden they dragged us right into the, uh, the brown stuff, as it were. And um, I'm, I'm like you guys, I'm, I'm kind of nervously looking behind behind us because you, you, you look at, you know, you look, I don't, I don't want to be too negative, but you, you look at who's coming up out of the Evo Stick First Division North. You know, if, if you were to go down, that's a, that's going to be a hard division to get out of, you know, assuming South Shields come up because they're going to fling a, a load of money at it to get in the conference enough. And, um, you know, if, if you end up down there, it's it potentially sets you right back, you know, maybe not just a season, but two seasons, three seasons, maybe. So I think the, the easiest thing to do is just not get relegated this season, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's easy said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's easy done. I think you know I'm gonna I'm gonna stick to what I said last month because it, it seems like a long time ago since that first podcast, and we haven't played a league game since. So there's no extra cause for alarm. And I said then, 
think you know I think we'll bottom out sometime, and I think we'll improve. And I don't think we'll get from the playoffs if I'm honest, but I think we'll have a bit of positive momentum going to the end of the season. And I'm still sticking with that, but it does feel a bit more nervous now, doesn't it, towards the year because of other teams around us playing some games in hand. We still haven't got wins on the on the board because we haven't played any league games. But I'm, I'm going to stick to that. But I'm probably a little more nervous than than I was mm. last month. I think what what's happened is um, I kind of looked at FC United's results. I mean, a few weeks ago they they just weren't in my frame of thinking, you know. And then all of a sudden they they put two or three wins on the spin. I think they actually climbed ahead of us, haven't they? And um, you know, all of a sudden you think, well, you know, they've caught us and. The, They've not only caught us, but they've gone past us, and that's when you start to worry about. And I'm kind of like you. I'm I'm nervous, and I, I do kind of agree with what Alan and Tommy say. I think if we do get one, I think a few more probably will follow fairly quickly because they don't become a bad side overnight. I think it's just a a confidence thing, isn't it? And I think you know adding Reece Dice to the side was a big big bonus because I think we looked a lot better when we played against Harry I think we we looked far more dangerous going forward. Um, and I know it's easier said than done, but if you can just just cut out the little mistakes at the back, then I think we will start to get a few results, and I think you know we will climb away from it. Yeah, I'm the same as you guys. You know, I'm looking over my shoulder, say one point. The one thing, one spin off and put on is say we haven't played for three, four weeks. We've had six training sessions. Could we have then put the results behind us? Is there a new mentality in the team? Are they thinking, well, we haven't lost for a while? No. Maybe it's a bit of a fluke that we haven't lost for a while, but you might be thinking, well, we can do it, you know, go on a little run now. You never know, but like you say, I'm looking over your shoulder, nine points off the playoffs. How's it going to still the season? Yeah, I think we're pretty much aligned on that, aren't we? I think, um, you know, it's, it's just a case of turning those little small improvements that we're all seeing into some results, isn't mm. it? That's the thing, and that's, the, that's going to be the key thing for the for coming four, five, six games, some of which are tough games. Greed games was a big one. Yeah. I suppose one consolation you can take about these postponements is that maybe you can look at it, look at it as being a, a mid-season break, like a fresh start. You know, it signed a lot of players. Tommy signed, what she signed, five, four, five players, or whatever it, whatever it is. So maybe that time uh, with the training sessions has enabled players to get used to them, used to each other. Tommy's worked on them in training. He'd like to think this, this system, uh, work on things like defending. <laughs> that might be an idea. And hopefully... Hopefully, we'll see the benefits of this in, in, in a few weeks, you know, next weeks and months to come. I never thought it was a mid-season break. Maybe they should have all went off to Tenerife or something. <laughs> Got into some scandalous red-top behaviour, like like uh, Premier League teams of old did. Anyway, uh, whilst whilst all it's been a, a quiet time on the pitch, it's certainly been a busy one off the pitch. And uh, David Johnson presented his thoughts on building a sustainable future at the Dolphin Centre last week. He updated several hundred of us fans on our short-term financial position, as well as outlining some potential thoughts he had around how the club could develop off the field in years to come. Mike, I'll start with you. What do you think about what David Johnston had to say? Uh, he, he, I'll try that again. He presented some interesting ideas. Um, obviously, he's uh, had to paint a very realistic picture of where we are at the moment, um, which the um, postponements recently we've had won't have helped with, uh, but he had some interesting ideas going forward as to how the club could um, generate its own assets and generate its own income. And I think longer term, that's what we've got to do, because as he said himself, and uh, and and you see, said a lot on social media, the club can't 
continue to ask the fans to keep putting their hands in their pockets to pay for XYZ improvement or to, for want of a better way of putting it, bail the club out of, of any debt problem or cash flow problem they might be having. Um, yes, we are a fan-owned club, so I think realistically we have to expect that we would pay, pay our share of the bills and everything and you know keep this club going. It's our club. We're the owners. But at some point you have to think it needs to start paying its own way and um, I think David had some interesting ideas on how we could do that. Yeah, Kev, there was two, I suppose there were two elements to it, wasn't there? You talked about the short-term uh, challenges that we've got still in the business with outstanding debt and with cash flow. Before then, moving on to the, the longer-term kind of brainstorm, I would describe it as a brainstorm of things that we might do. I mean, first thing to say, if you think about some of the fans' forums we've been to over the years, it was nice not to have a shock and awe fans' forum, wasn't it? Yeah, it was... Um... I thought, for the most part, it was really, really well presented. I thought uh, David presented it in a, a sort of pretty straightforward manner. You know, I don't, I don't think there was any sort of history on it or anything like that. He, he pretty much laid it all out, wasn't it? And I think the interesting thing that he did touch on, and I think it's probably maybe what a lot of fans maybe don't appreciate, is is the cash flow, isn't it? That that's what you know the, the real struggle for clubs at this level is. You you lose two or three games to weather, like we have done recently. And all of a sudden, you you know you're looking at your balance sheet. Thinking, well, we haven't quite got enough money, you know, in the pot, so to speak. And you know that money's going to come in later in the season because you'll play your games and you'll catch up, and uh, the, f- the flow of cash into the club will improve. But you know, for those few weeks where you haven't got games, we haven't got you know someone to bail us out. You know, whereas other clubs who maybe got you know directors and you know a board of five or six people. If they lose three or four games, the weather they could maybe have a whip around and say, right, okay, we need X amount of money to see us through this period. Everyone put your hand in your pockets. We haven't got that. Well, we have. It's the fans, you know. And um, that that was the, the really sort of interesting part for me, the, the way you laid that out. Because it's something I think a lot of us probably around this table all know about, but I, I think maybe the, the maybe sort of wider doubt and support in public doesn't quite realise maybe what, what it's like to run a club on a, a sort of weekly basis. And that's a challenge. And it's not just us. It's not us being badly run. It's the same for every club, bar two or three perhaps, at this level. Cash is king. And if you haven't got any, then you know, you've got to struggle for a few weeks. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think if you look at those two things there, the short-term cash flow piece, I think, came out loud and clear, didn't it? And David talked about how managing that, John Tempest and David managing creditors and managing um, that length of credit cycle and trying to bring that a bit tighter is just exhausting. Just try, it's a really difficult job trying to keep everybody happy, making sure everyone's paid, making sure that people aren't going to stop supplying you and everything like that. And I think there's been a lot of talk afterwards, hasn't there, about how we can start to create a bit of headroom. I mean, Matt and Jesper, I remember him talking about headroom an awful lot as well. So I think that's one thing. Um, I, think, I think something that I found really positive, not just at the fans' forum, but in the, in the time over the last month or so, is the better, it seems to me, strengthening or better collaboration of the supporters group board who seem to be actually um, much more able to help, actively help, you know, as a, as a partner in a collaborative way. We've seen increased work on some of the commercial pieces. We've seen different initiatives coming out from the supporters group. So I think that's a really good thing. And whilst we've obviously still got acute 
cash flow struggles. Um, you know, we're not talking about a few years ago when, you know, everyone pretty much knows if Dan Byrne hadn't played in that game, we were in big trouble and stuff like that. I think it's it's not maybe quite so acute, but clearly putting Wednesday night's game on at Middlesbrough is about the best we can do to try and bring some cash into the business in the next few uh, in the next few weeks at least anyway. But me, me, the point I was trying to make is that um you know the, the challenges that we're facing at the moment with games being called off are not unique to us. You know, they're the Absolutely. same for many, many other clubs, not just at this level but probably two or three up. And um I think whenever whenever people at the football club start talking about money, the wider I, I get the impression that the wider Darlow public kind of rolls their eyes a little bit and thinks, oh, well, here we go again kind of thing. And it's it's not because we've been, you know, badly run or anything like that. It's just the nature of running a business where, you know, you, you're relying on cash coming through the gate. You know, any business, if they're not able to do whatever their business is for a few weeks, is going to struggle cash-wise. And that's, that, I think, is generally what happens to us around this time of year, you know. As David was showing in his diagrams, you know, there's big troughs and then there's big spikes. The the challenge is to try and get in a situation where we can sort of perhaps level out those troughs a little bit more. And um, you, you mentioned there about, you know, speaking to creditors and things like that. Well, all the time that John and David are speaking to creditors is time that they're not able to do anything else. And um, I, I thought there was something else that David said during the, during the forum and the presentation was that he needs to expand the board. And I, I think he held his hands up, didn't he, and more or less said, that's something that I should have done before now. Um, and I think that's that's very true. If he, if he can get a few more people around him, that means, you know, while someone's perhaps talking to a creditor or, you know, trying to organise something else, there's, there's other things that can be, you know, be got along with. And at the moment, you've got two people trying to run a football club and it, you just can't do it. You know, when, when you see opposition teams come you know, in the boardroom at um, Blackwell Meadows, there's four, five, six people. And that's that's a full board. You know, we've got two people at the moment. And, you know, I think it's a struggle. Get Ray Simpson on the board. He's got a few quid. Is there one in this room? No, someone must know. He's happily retired, Greg. Happily retired, count his money. <laughs> what I will say is, um, and you touched on it there, that We've got um, a great collaboration going between the football club board and the supporters group board. Um, we've got the strongest supporters group board that I think we've had at any point in the last five years. Um, we had a lot of great candidates run at the last AGM, and uh, you know, um, me included. And um, we've got a really good board going there now, and I think it, it does sort of. Worry me slightly. Well, not worry me. Sort of, I, I question why the football club board only has two people on it, whereas a supporters group board has 12. It feels like that needs to be a little more balanced up. I mean, yes, they're collaborating, um, but I think, as, um, as Kev said there, you know, having two people in the whole football club, when you see other, when you see other clubs come to Blackwell Meadows and bring in four or five, we do need more people on that board and there. Uh, I definitely don't envy the job that David and John are doing. They have my endless respect um, because it is so difficult. He's impressive though, isn't he, David Johnson? Can you see him speak? You definitely you know what he's telling. If you're going to only have two people on the board, I do want more, but if you're going to have to, and you certainly pick David and John Tempest because they've both switched on, they've both got the heart in the right place. 
Absolutely. And, um, yeah, I think we're both very happy with those two. I should say as well, David, uh, kindly agreed to appear with us on the podcast, but we were postponed as well because we were going to have uh, a chance to talk to David and record something for this, which he great, uh, gracefully agreed to do. But we were doing that for the Salford match on Sunday, which when that fell victim to the weather, so did the interview, unfortunately. But we'll roll that one over maybe to another time. And whilst we're talking about this, the current and the past a little bit, there was also quite a lot there about the future, wasn't there? There was talk of 4G pitches and clubhouses and there was also talk of sports villages and perhaps we'll talk about that in a little, in a little minute. But um, I think it's, it's clear, isn't it, to everyone that we're back in the town and that's great. But how are we going to crack on from here? You know, as well as firefighting at the moment, how, where, where are we going? What direction are we in? How are we going to move it forward into the National League North? Extra budget required to even compete there. Heaven forbid the Football League. Um, and some interesting thoughts came out around that on the night, wasn't there, as well? It's, it's that next step, isn't it? Um, how, how do you go about taking that next step? And um, for me personally, and I know there was a lot of talk, you know, about 3G pitches and, you know, that sort of thing. To me, I, I think, first and foremost, get the basics right. And I think David did mention commercially, we've got to be more commercially active. And I think that's something quite a few fans have touched on, you know, on social media. If we can be, if we can be more commercially active in the town, you know, get a few more advertising boards sold, then all of a sudden it makes makes things a little bit easier, doesn't it? And then you can, you can start to examine these longer-term projects like, 4G pitches and uh, you know so forth. If if you've got that solid base, that solid commercial base to work from, then yeah, you can go off and explore other other avenues. But it's difficult to explore those at the moment if you haven't got that solid base underpinning you. And I don't think commercially we've, we've quite got that yet, have we? I think uh, Kev makes a good point there. I think when David came in, um, one of his sort of one of his roles was going to be to try and increase the commercial revenue coming into the club, but he's spent a good portion of the last few months on the phone to creditors, um, you know, firefighting, which takes him away from getting on the phone to future income um, when he's obviously having to deal with current outgoings or past outgoings. Um, one of the things that was mooted at that presentation last week was the creation of a role um, paid to you know, commercial manager to get out there amongst businesses in the town and, uh, and and get that goodwill going, get those advertising boards put up and get some money coming into the club. And uh, I think that's a great idea because, you know, um, I think it's, I think we, we, I've got this vague memory, we possibly experimented with the idea of having the role based on commission um, a few years back. Um, maybe something that's worth revisiting if we can't offer a fixed wage or even just on a part-time basis. But there are some areas, I think, sometimes, as, as, as amazing as volunteers are, I mean, you know, that's what we are. Um, as I mean, sometimes there's that specialist knowledge that requires you to, to advertise a role, to, to, to pay for it. If it's, I mean, I don't, I don't know how much a commercial manager costs or how much you pay them, so I'm kind of ballparking here, but if we paid them £15,000 a year and they bought them £30,000 in sponsorship income, Match day advertising, sponsorship boards around the uh, around the outside of the pitch and everything. Money well spent for me. Well, however much is, I got the sense on the night that that was very much a, a when and not if, wasn't it? I think there was it was up there on all the slides, wasn't it? I think it's just a case of making sure we've got the some resources to be able to explore that. I think, and the thing that caught my eye a little bit because obviously it came up a bit in the on the evening and then it came up in the net cafe afterwards is that whilst we're making strategic decisions about the future of the football club in parallel, 
Uh, we've got the changes that were announced at a similar time around the sports village as well. Now it's got to be said at this point, David was very clear on the stage that this is, you know, they've been uh, invited as a stakeholder, as many other sporting stakeholders, to have a discussion about it. And that's as far as it is right now. I think that's very important to uh, to point out. Um, but whilst being a good loyal taxpayer, council taxpayer for Darlington, I went that a look to see, try and work out what the plans are anyway. And all of these are publicly available. And when I, when I had a look, there were a couple of things I'll read out here that caught my interest anyway, even if we take a step back from the football club and think about it for the town and the sporting facilities in the town. Because I'm taking this straight from the, the council. So the, 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 the idea here is with the, the Darlington Sports Village is to create, and I'm quoting here, an improved arena as a centrepiece asset with an artificial pitch and reconfigured concourse for events, together with, together with a centre of excellence for sports, a new sports and leisure complex, a village green, appropriate sports retail leisure centre, and a neighbourhood centre, um, to try and provide the arena with a long-term sustainable future. And the idea of this is when you when you look into it, and again, this is very preliminary, preliminary and it's Darling Melbourne Park and the council work in collaboration on this. But ultimately, what that sports village at Melbourne Park will be, will be um, a sports village formed with uh, Darling Melbourne Park and Darling Borough Council shared ownership. At an agreed time, Darling Melbourne Park will commit the arena into the sports village and Darling Borough Council will commit some additional land into that pro programme as well. Uh, with it being the intention that Darling Melbourne Park will manage and operate the Darling Sports Village on behalf of Melbourne Park, Darling Borough Council and any other investor. So that's the plan anyway, which I think is good for the order. You know, we don't know any more than that. We've no idea whether it'll have anything to do with Darling Football Club at all. Um, but certainly as Darling fans who lived, grew and stayed cold in that arena for a long time, I think we all welcome probably some plans um, that are going to try and make that a sustainable piece of, of Dalek. Anyway, any, any thoughts on that? Any thoughts on, on what you heard about potential involvement with that sports village? Well, I think it's it's nice that we're, we've kind of been, did you say, invited along as a, a stakeholder? Yeah, I, I think said? there was the word stakeholder was used. I don't know whether we invited, I remember David Johnson said, didn't he, we, we, we've had a conversation, I expect all the stakeholders have around the town, I think is what he said. Yeah. But it's, it's it's nice nice to be involved in, you know, even if it is just preliminary conversations about what the future holds for the arena because I, I think sometimes people forget that we're one of the biggest non-league football clubs probably not just in the North East but in the country you know I think sometimes I've yet forgotten a little bit you know surely that has a little bit of you know power or you know you know something about it so I think it's good that we've been sort of invited along with at least part of the start of the uh, discussions that were but don't think that really changes anything for the club short term. So it's not it's not something you can wait around for or anything like that. The, the future very much immediately is still Blackwell Meadows and making that sort of commercially viable and you know a home for Dalton Football Club. Did you mention that the, the paperwork you've seen at the council it said something about an improved arena? What does that mean? An improved arena? Yeah, I'm trying to think of the exact. Quote, it's all on the, it's all on the, in the minutes of the meetings and stuff like that. Let's say it's going to be an improved arena with as a centerpiece asset with an artificial pitch and reconfigured concourse for events, is what it said. So, an improved arena is the, okay. is the phrase. I was surprised about an artificial pitch because uh, not so many teams have them in rugby, but there you go. Yeah, and I think I'm getting ahead of ourselves here, but if Dan Football Club were playing on an artificial pitch, wouldn't that restrict how many promotions you can get? I.e., 
Football League. I think we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come. <laughs> we're I'm sure that's going to happen in my lifetime. Yeah, but um, yeah, the arena. Oh God, oh, not, I won't even tell you enthusiastic about that and playing there in, in the future. But back on my doors, there's a there's an issue there as well, isn't there? Um, how far that can progress whilst we're back on my doors for various reasons. The pipe being a major one. Um, well, we're all talking if some buts maybe say it all kind of. We might as well discuss what we're going to do when we're, when we're in the lottery. It's kind of one of them, isn't it? It's a long way off all these discussions about sport and village. But speaking as someone, somebody from the town, I think the town does need something done with that area, with the arena, because that stadium has no place in this town. There isn't a sporting body in the town or around it that needs that uh, 25,000 seat arena. So something needs to be done with the area. I think Mountain probably admit they don't need a stadium of that size. Something needs to be done. Um, and maybe there's an avenue for the football club playing back on that site in some capacity. But like, like I think Craig sort of hit the nail on the head for me a little bit. Is um, you know, it's it's all ifs and buts. I mean, you, you you look at the document that we've got there, and it's kind of what three or four pages long, and it's kind of very broad strokes, isn't it? It's there's not a huge great amount of detail in there because it's very much a starting point, and you know, we we could be five, six, maybe many more years in the future before there's any funding in place or any sort of work starts on that. So, like Craig says, we, we could talk about what we're going to spend the lottery money on. doesn't mean we're going to win the lottery, does it? Um, but I, I agree also with what Craig says. Something long-term needs to be done with the arena because I, I, every time I drive past it on the, on the bypass, I feel a bit embarrassed by it. You know what I mean? It feels like it's... It, it always used to be the joke, didn't it? That used to be the millstone around the football clubs there. But you drive past it now, and I think it, it just it reflects badly on the town. I think it, it would be nice if it was put to some sort of proper use, and it could be, you know, it could be it could be the it could be a real centre point for the town, a real focal point, a real talking point. But every time someone talks about the arena in Darton, uh, they end up talking about a, a certain former chairman, don't they? And it, it becomes a, a bit of a joke. Good, I think that's all we've got. And it is all speculation, isn't it? And I think the first thing to say in the interest of balance, it doesn't even mean it's going to go anywhere. I think the it's only very initial talks, even between Melbourne and the council. You know, it, and it probably isn't, and maybe will never be anything to do with the football club, but certainly it's something that's going around the town that's worth chewing the fat on for a couple of minutes anyway. But as you say, I think we're going to be a whole number of podcasts down the line before we get any news on that. Uh, that's for sure. I would just like to point out to Kev as well that the arena is going to be put to proper use next year when Steps, Aqua and Blue play. Yes, Steps. Oh, Steps. Andy, well, we'll have to make sure that we book the recording nights uh, appropriately, otherwise we're going to be a few men down on that night, aren't we? We'll never get you two out if Steps are in town. <laughs> Good. So I think I think to summarise that bit anyway, it's nice to come to a fans forum and it not be terrifying news or the, the you know the chairman's wife didn't come in and accuse people of throwing games and we're not going to go bust well we weren't going to go bust next week again <laughs> yeah. so that was good and, and I think we all commend the piece around just let's just take a breath here and just have a look at where we're going to be what we're going to do how we're going to progress as we start to get into a point where we've been home for a little while and can start to look forward uh, off the pitch a little bit so all, all credit for that and I have to say as well very impressive with the Dolphin Centre in there with that marquee up I thought I was coming into a, a wedding or something <laughs> on that night I couldn't believe that I walked in I was like I think they'll be the right take. room <laughs> so all, all credit to the Dolphin Centre staff for uh, for making a good job of that 
Uh, and we do like a fans forum, don't we, as well? There was hundreds of people there on the night. I mean, we, we do like a good fans forum, us Darlow fans. Um, I, I generally thought it was it was positive. I think beforehand, I think, I don't know, there seemed to be a sense that people maybe expected a little bit more. So I think maybe when, when you initially left it, you felt maybe a little bit sort of underwhelmed by it almost. But I think, you know, sort of a few days after you sort of let it sort of settle again, it almost felt like a sort of kind of state of the union type thing, didn't it? This this is what the situation is kind of thing. And that's really what forums should be, shouldn't it? It shouldn't be this thing where people get on the high horse or make a giant scene, which is what probably a fair few of them have been in the past, haven't they? Absolutely, absolutely. And I know that they've said, haven't they, they'll try and make that a regular feature and open up those communication channels. So good, all good. I guess we should try and get back to events on the pitch then. And uh, as we mentioned earlier, it was great to see Rhys Stash make a goal-scoring debut. And that got us here at Darlow Fans Radio thinking about centre-forwards from years gone by. So the question we wanted to answer tonight was this. Who has been your Darlow, your favourite Darlow number nine? Even if they didn't wear number nine, who's been your favourite Darlow centre-forward and why? So that's what we've been thinking about here for a little while. And uh, I'm going to start, Kev... I'm going to start with you here. I'm going to start with you. Where, where are you going for your favourite number nine in all your years? It's got to be Marco Gabbiadini, hasn't it? I'm, I'm sure one or two other people around this this room have looked at that one, but Marco Gabbiadini for me, without doubt, the best forward who I've seen play for this club. Um, it's just his ability, wasn't it? You know, when he, he, when he used to pick the ball up from deep, he used to sort of you know come inside, go past one or two players, and then. He would either find the top corner or he would find a shot which would be saved sufficiently by the goalkeeper for, was it Peter Duffield to, yeah. to tap in? Yeah. And it just seemed to be a great partnership. But um, yeah, Marco Gabbiadini was probably the best forward we've ever seen. Andy, in your in your time, who gets the nod for you? We've got one for Marco there. Uh, it's got to be Drew Brown. He <laughs> 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 scored a thunderous shin volley down at Townsend in the three-all draw. Which what a guy! Meant. <laughs> a total miskick, was it? <laughs> no, obviously apart from Marco, I'd say Graham Armstrong had an impact in me. Lee Gaskell. I might have joked before saying Matt Clark and Barry Conlon, <laughs> but no, yeah, I'd say Graham Armstrong. I think in the years I've supported Darrow, apart from Marco. Yeah, good. Can't, can't argue with them. All recent as well. I thought you were serious when you said Barry Conlon earlier as well. Mike, who you got and why? Um, I'm going to have to be boring and go for Marco as well. Um, I wasn't a regular um, Thebans attendee, Dalo attendee, during Marco's time with the club, but I'm obviously very aware of his record while he was with us. If I was going to go for the best uh, number nine I've seen in my time actually attending Dalo games, I think I'm probably going back as far as playing somebody like Powell Abbott. Um, he was absolutely fantastic. Could single-handedly turn games, you know, when needed to. I think there was a game, was it Grimsby? We were two down and he got a hat-trick and, and won as that one, basically, on his own. And, uh, and yeah, he was supremely gifted footballer and probably the most complete number nine I've seen in my time as, you know, a regular attendee of dialogue games. And then you go, you know, to the more, the more recent years, your Armstrong's, Cartman's. Um, so, yeah, but number one is Marco. Yeah, 
a good number of votes for Marco Craig. And I'm sure he'll be on your list too. Who else would be in your sort of on your podium for centre forwards in your many years? I think this is remarkably premature, by the way, to be discussing that greatest ever striker. Rhys Leitch is coming, but one game, I thought, two goals. Suddenly, we're talking about Rhys Leitch in the same conversation as Marco Cavalier. Remarkable. Um, so now we're just trying to motivate him quick. Now we've established Rhys Leitch as one of Darwin's greatest ever strikers. That's what people said about to be. Well, I think it's what you're saying. It's what you're implying, isn't it? He's inspired the discussion. Jesus, mate. Right. I was talking about it. Yeah, I mean, Gabbiani is the obvious one because he was so good. He wasn't just a good player in a period. He was, if you speak to people much older than us, they would go back and say Gabbiani was the best striker in, in, in their time watching, watching down. He was, he was sensational. Um, and Paul Abbott was very talented as well. Very talented. He scored 17, I think, in the two seasons, despite being injured most, most of the time. But Gumi's beginning, you mentioned Mike, he, he scored twice in that game and the winner was by someone called Tommy Wright. I don't know what came of him. <laughs> don't know what happened to him. Yeah, um, I remember yeah. that. Yeah, he, uh, that, that, yeah, you're right, he was sensational in that game and single-handedly turned that game around. Um, again, people older than me, probably your age, who just discussed David Curry in the same in the same breath as Gabby Adini. He's been a, a very talented player who had the ability to score a goal from nothing and grab a game on, and do something entirely on his own. So, but it was a bit before my time, so I didn't really see him play. So I have to say, Gabriellini, I know it sounds boring, but it was it was incredible, incredible. Two goals in two seasons. It's a shame. It's a shame that he went to play for Hartlepool after that. And we offered him a contract as well, didn't he? he went out. He's on my list as well, by the way. But that's the only thing when I was thinking about it. That it takes a little bit of a tarnish. Yeah, he, he trained with us as well. He came back after his Northampton time. Trained with Dalton after. I'm sure he suggested to Mick Tierney he was going to come back and sign. And next thing down, found out he, he turned out, well, yeah, that wasn't ideal. Yeah, and as you said, I mean, for mine, I'm a few years, only a year or two older than, than you, I think, Craig. But I mean, there's a couple there that I almost, I mean, they would have been on my list that I watched, but I was too young probably to appreciate. And the, the two there, whether he was out and out centre forward or not, I'm not sure, but Alan Walsh. In the late, where, where are we? Early 80s, I guess. Late 70s, early 80s. Scored memorable hat tricks against Hartlepool in local derbies. Went to Bristol City for an outrageous tribunal fee in the end, which we never got the money we should have for him. Um, remember watching him play, brilliant, but got brought up on the stories of Alan Walsh. David Speedy, always only for a little while as well. Um, a great player that graced the team. Alan Walsh's, Alan Walsh's daughter is married to Frazier. Yeah, right? Kelsey Grammer. Yeah, isn't that yeah. right? Yeah, it's, it's a weird one. Anyway, and then um, I think Curry, I think for me as well, David Curry you mentioned as well, came from, released from Middlesbrough, I think, and then came to play for us for a little while, maybe two seasons, went to Barnsley after that, didn't he? Uh, great player, but overall, despite the fact he went to go play for, for, uh, for Hartlepool, Gabby Dini on his day was unbelievable, wasn't it, those two seasons? And it got to the point where it was ridiculous. You could just give him the ball anywhere on the pitch and, and he'd just score. I mean, I remember... In the old stand, the old uh, east stand, the main stand, the things one time, and taking the ball from a throw in near the halfway line, something like that, with nothing on, and just he, he just took it on his muscly thigh that he had and, and just bent one into the top corner. It was unplayable, wasn't he? I, I always felt Gabby only moved down because he had a bad couple of years previously. Uh, I think he 
didn't do all at York after he'd been at Stoke, Birmingham, didn't really do anything anywhere. So he suddenly ended up in League Two at the age of 30 when had things been different. He should have really been playing high. He had no, he had no issue being in League Two. He should not be in League Two at that, at that age, at 30 years old. Um, so I'm really fortunate, fortunate to have him. Actually, let's go back to Reece Stites, by the way. I, I pulled out a great stat the other week. When Reece Stites scored twice on his Darlington debut, uh, week and became our Darlington best ever goal scorer. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was the first Darlington player to score twice on his first game for the club since 1988, which again, before my time, I'm watching with you, Stu. Do you remember who that would have been? That striker? That uh, that? Yes, I know what I'm not going to say. Because he's like the one, oh, he's too young for this. Paul Clayton. That's the one. Paul Clayton got it. did some more work after that game. Andy Johnson, Andy Johnson did score twice on his first start, but he had been a sub in his previous in, in his previous games. It didn't quite didn't quite count. That trivia for you there. Yeah, impressive. And I'm gonna I'm gonna listen back to this. I don't think any of us said at any point. Restash, although we're delighted with his two goal debut, is on that list anyway. Yeah, we're just I think excited to have a centre forward who can score a few goals. That's what we're sitting here. I think. I suppose we need something to talk about. There's, there's been no football. <laughs> once, once he single-handedly pulled us into the playoffs, no pressure, Reese. We can have the discussion again. But uh, and I will say as well, um, somebody retweeted um, have have it on the social media that retweeted Twitter, obviously. Um, I think he was talking about possibly thinking he could still do a job at a club somewhere or he was like trying to get a club or something. I'm not sure how old he is now, but in the unlikely event that he's listening, I would just like to remind him that as an ex Darlow player, it is obligatory that at some point he returns to the club. So, well, <laughs> give Tommy a call. You, you, you were mentioning Paul Lovett. I think uh, it's a great shout, by the way. Uh, I think the only thing which maybe stops him being quite in that same breath for WD is if, if he'd just been able to play a few more games. I think Craig mentioned he, he was injured a fair yeah, bit, wasn't he? If, if he managed to be a bit fitter, you know, um, played a few more games, I, I thought he, he had the potential to be, you know, right up there with WD personally. In his first season, 2007 8 season, he only completed 90 minutes three times in the entire season. Because when he did start, he came off and he, really, he didn't start as much as he, as he could have yeah. done. So, but he, he was fast and good, just injury prone, fortunately. Um, but yeah, very good player. Very good. Interesting. Reese, you know what you've got to do now to make it onto this. No wheeling either. No, no, no wheeling. Drew Broughton was a good good shout. I mean, he's still the worst player I've ever seen play for us. I don't care if he is listening. He was born offside, wasn't he? He was. He was. <laughs> he was. <laughs> Drew Broughton, he was just tired, you know. He packed in, he hung his, hung his boots up, and then he got an SOS because we were really in trouble, creating little was looking left, right, and centre for anyone who was pulling a pair of boots. And so Drew Broughton got, got an SOS and he came out with time to play. So someone like Paddy Dean, for example, he was supposed to be a professional footballer and he came out, he, he came out, I don't know why I picked him up, picked him, but yeah, he was actually supposed to be a professional and he turned up and he'd never think he was. Yeah, you're right, Drew Broughton. Pat- nothing Pat- else will be enjoying the amount we've talked about. He's gone down his history, hasn't he? He's become infamous. Paddy Dean, cheers for mentioning his name, Craig. Should have answered the dot, Stevie Johnson, if you asked me. It would have been a better bet. <laughs> anyway, whilst, whilst we're thinking of Darlow centre-forwards who've made their mark, one of the names that often springs to mind, although didn't on this occasion, actually, despite him having probably the coolest, longest-sounding song that we've ever had, is Robbie Painter. So earlier this season, Robbie sat down with our co-commentator, Michael Cansfield, to chat about his memories 
prior to joining us as a summariser for actually last season's game at Bradford Park Avenue. And uh, to kick things off, Michael brought him back to Wembley in the playoff final of 1996. Thank you, Stuart. Hello, everybody. This is Michael Cansfield, another member of the Darlington Fans radio team. Uh, I usually do the away games, uh, and when I do, I try my best to try and get uh, a Darlington ex-player to come along and join me as a summariser. So what I thought I'd do as part of the podcast, delve into the archives and pick out a few choice interviews. And first up, it's Robbie Painter, Darlow favourite from the 90s. Uh, played in the Wembley side of 96, uh, was also played a major role in a big League Cup game against Leeds United way back when. Uh, he also talks about his teammates and uh, a, an insane game against Colchester United where Darlington won 7-3 as they were sitting bottom of the league. So here's a chance to listen to that interview again. Wembley, Wembley. A special day for Darlington's players and their fans. The coach's journey to Wembley was just the start of a memorable occasion. Young and old were there to cheer on Jim Platt's side, with around 12,000 Darlington supporters making the trip to the home of English football. Victory against Plymouth would give them promotion. The Quakers so nearly took the lead. So hello, Robbie. Hello, Michael. How are you doing? You okay? We've just been showing him the footage, the history of the game back at Wembley. We're just suggesting if he could have been, as is as described on Wikipedia, if he could be 5'11", we might still have gone into extra time. I think if, uh, with those two inches, I definitely would have scored that one in the top corner, that's for sure. You just really didn't want to be uh, Steve Gorn after he, he <laughs> overheard it. You weren't happy, though. Oh, definitely not happy. You know, we have, um, I'm still in uh, contact with Steve Gorn on a regular basis, so it's... Uh, it's very often we have this discussion about this um, that scenario actually, and it's always a, a laughing point. I think the um, they, t- they, t- they blame as the Gazers the miss in '96, but I think it, that one's probably just about up there. You know, the one where he, he sh- was it Shearer shot across in the because yes. that was the '96, wasn't it? The oh yes, I remember that really well. I don't think it really was a miss; it was all Steve's fault really. Uh, <laughs> I was certainly on the on the back post. All he had to do was just clip it onto my head, and uh, like I say, the conversation I have with Steve is that you know what happened five minutes after that event was that. He, he got subbed, so uh, there's nothing else that he can say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very true. That's very true. Bless him, bless him dearly, old Stan. I never quite worked out why was he called Stan. I don't know actually. I mean, I signed from um, uh, Darlington on loan, and he was just Stan, Stan the man. I have no idea. He's a character. Yes, yeah, so that's a few people on Facebook of uh, uh, what's it, Pete Kirk, and we were. Made me look foolish a couple of weeks ago in that charity game. And said hello. He's. Uh, I put your put put on tin shed about the fact that you were going to appear. Oh, so I brilliant! Think, I think we got Pete Kirkham and Simon Simon Shaw. Simon Shaw. He was on the um, commentated a few uh, months ago, didn't he? Yeah. So he said he had a really good time doing this. Indeed, but that, yes. that's a, probably a difficult one to match up to. That was the. Uh, Promotion winning, winning the league last game of the season. Was Se- it? 7 1. Slightly different game of tonight than I. We didn't get an awful lot of chance to talk about him. <laughs> oh, right. It was pretty much goal, goal. Was, in fact, we did talk about the Colchester game. Were you in that one? The 7 3 with Alan Murray? I think oh. that's the first time he took over. And they was, it, it might was, have been. I might have been. I probably scored two, something like that, if I remember. We were bottom. <laughs> Not sure. <laughs> <laughs> you might have got the two. Yes, yes. We were bottom of the. Yeah, I think we were on the bottom, and that just game came out of absolutely nowhere that's it that was, I think that was the, the catalyst of when it all we started to put some results together at the time I think and yet here we are now in the uh, futuristic world of Bradford Park Avenue 
We've got the obligatory question for you, uh, Robbie. What was it like to score the goal at Elland Road? Oh, that was a, a fantastic night for me personally and, and for the club. Um, it's something I'll, I'll never forget, really, yes. Um, yeah, it was a, a great game. I think at the time when I was playing for Darlington, I was having a little bit of an indifferent time. I was just out with, out with the team a little bit, so I can recall being uh, as a sub, really. And, uh, yeah, opportunity came along. I think we went 2-1 down and brought Robbie Blake off. He was obviously went on to do great things. And, uh, yeah, I recall Gary Twynham just putting a ball through for midfield. And, uh, yeah, great touch for myself around the keeper and uh, just slotted it in the bottom corner. Yeah, but I remember running the wrong way. I ran to the left thinking the Darlington fans were there and just realised there was about three or 4,000 behind the goal. So I think it just span round and then just ran, ran, ran across to them all. Yeah, it was a, it was a great night. Uh, but yeah, that was, I remember being there. I was at that game myself watching you because it was kind of a Galacticos of Leeds. Although yes, it's yes. slightly past their peak. A little bit, wasn't it? I think it was George Graham's first game in charge for Leeds at the time. So I think it was a, an half-decent crowd on. They recall Ian Rush playing at the time up yeah, front. Yeah, uh, Rushy, yeah. I think he used to play him on the wing, didn't he, George Graham, for some bizarre reason. Uh, yes, but yeah, they had a few um, Lee Sharp. stars. Lee Sharp was playing, wasn't he? I then asked Robbie about what he's up to today. So, so what is it you're doing these days? What am I doing these days? Well, where do I start? Um, I'm, a, I'm a charter physiotherapist now. I uh, uh, went back to university after coming out of football at the age of 32. So studied for four, four years. 44, no, four years, should I say. Um, <laughs> at York, a long course. Yeah, it's a long course. <laughs> uh, York, St. John used to have a, uh, university. So I've been qualified nearly 10 years now as a physio. So, um, yeah, I work. So in both camps, really, private sector, NHS, and as a physiotherapist, which is good. I'm trying to think now. So when you played the charity game a few weeks ago, there was so there's because there's, there's quite a few teachers in our, in the side now, but there's quite a few because you've got Adam Reed, he's a physio now, isn't he? What's Simon's a teacher, George's a teacher. Was there any other physios? I don't think so. No, I know. Like I say, Adam's first team physio over at uh, Middlesbrough at the moment, isn't he? So uh, not from Darlington. Um, just obviously in, in, still in contact with Nigel. I remember Nigel Carnelli was there the other, the other week at the charity event, so I organised it for him to come along, which was nice. Yes, indeed. Yes, we should mention that. Uh, it, I think it was a good day all around for everybody. You, you did a good job there organising the reunion for the 20 years. Can't believe it's 20 years. Can't believe it's 20 years, are my words. Uh, it was a fantastic um, fantastic day for a great cause and uh, it was just nice to get the um, the 96 team back and, and other players back together um, after such a long time um, and it's, uh, it was a great day. Yeah, and uh, quite a few still in a decent nick. Some not, <laughs> but some were. Uh, no comment on uh, those who were not, um, Matty Appleby, but... Uh, <laughs> No, it was good, yeah. The lads looked in good shape. Um, I think there was a, sore, a few sore legs uh, for a good few days after the game, but uh, uh, that's where I made a few quid privately in the physio. <laughs> yeah, make that two weeks. I, as I, I made that one r- wizard run down the left-hand side. Although didn't see that. didn't quite see that, yeah. <laughs> I got the short straw with having to mark Pete Kirkham, which uh, it was the messy of our side, as, I, as history will record <laughs> Yes, very, very. Um, well, he's better than what he's better now than what he was back then. I don't know. He's um, no, he was always a good, a good player. Was uh, Peter a very technically very good? He just didn't get the opportunities that he should have done uh, with um, a couple of the managers. This is true. We're just looking back at the uh, the history of the the players, that, the managers that you. So you were signed by Billy, Billy, the famous Billy McEwen. Yes, signed by Billy McEwen. Yes, uh, that's right. I was at Burnley at the time, and uh, I just wasn't getting any game time, and. Uh, 
Uh, Clive Middlemass was was there. I think he was involved with Darlington uh, prior to coming to Burnley. And then um, I think that was my um, way into Darlington on loan. So went on loan for a month, did quite well. And then Billy just signed me for the thing. I think back then you was just allowed three months loan period. And I signed up signing all th- doing, doing all three months in the end. And you managed to, well, he liked workers, and that's one thing you, you definitely <laughs> were putting in a shift. Yes, yeah, I think that was part of my game, wasn't it? Um, sometimes we'd run a little bit too hard and run out of steam, especially trying to chase uh, Simon Shaw's balls down the channel. That's for sure. If you're oh, listening, Simon. Indeed, yes. <laughs> well, as, well, as long as he's not going to nightclubs, as, uh, as he recounted his story. Oh, yes, that was awful. That was awful. But, uh, yes, yeah, so uh, there was a hazy day, and then you... You obviously had a taste of Murray and and then the man himself, Mr Hodgson. Well, yes, after my three-month period with um, with Darlington, I obviously done quite well at the time, and Alan came in and wanted to, to, me to sign me to sign me on full-time, so it was going quite well at that time. I was scoring a few goals, I was enjoying my football, I was playing in the position that I wanted to play, so it was a, for me, it was a... It was a no-brainer. Had a really good relationship with the fans, um, and um, yeah, I think I signed a two-year contract with Alan at the time. Well, hopefully you enjoyed that uh, little stroll down memory lane with Robbie, and uh, hopefully we'll get to do some more in the new year, and uh, you'll be able to enjoy them on the podcast. So that's it for me. Wish you everybody a merry Christmas, and uh, we'll see you in the new year. So many thanks to Michael and to Super Robbie Painter for taking us on that trip down memory lane. And that's almost it for this Christmas edition of the Darlow Fans Radio podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it, and you can help us too. Uh, we were genuinely bowled over by the responses via Twitter and Facebook, and even Darlow uncovered to the first podcast. And because we're all quite sensitive individuals, we'd love for you to carry on with that encouragement, uh, as well as giving you feedback on, on what you like and what you don't like, and any ideas you've got for us as we continue to develop what we cover and discuss. Uh, Your support was so strong last time that we've actually all agreed that we'll continue producing these on a monthly basis. So hopefully people will continue to listen and enjoy. If you're listening to this anywhere glamorous or interesting, we'd especially like to hear from you. So please do get in touch. You can find us on Twitter at the handle at DarlowFansRadio or on Facebook with the same title. And if social media isn't your thing, our email address is DarlowFans at gmail.com. And we're always glad to hear from you. Also a favour, if you could leave us a review on the podcast app you're using and give us a rating, that would be gratefully received as well. So, gents, finally, the next few games, as we said earlier, are looking critical. Gainsborough, the doubleheader against Harrogate, then home to York and our old friend Mr Gray. We'll have lots to talk about next time out, hopefully, weather permitting. Hopefully some games to talk about will help. But my final question to each of you here is to ask what you'd like Santa to bring for Darlow this year. What do you think should be on our collective Darlow Christmas list, Mike? I would just like three points from... It doesn't even matter whose name is on the, the tag. You know, Gainsborough, Harrogate, Salford. Three points from anyone would be a big bonus. And then, you know, to um, extend the present analogy, I suppose, we unwrap the first three points. Every present under that tree is a win after that. So like let's have that. I thought you were going to go for one of them like Russian doll things there, where every time you take one off, there's another one inside or something like that. Yeah, but they get smaller because then you've got three one <laughs> zero. <laughs> true, yeah. true, true. Craig, what do you reckon? What do you think? What do you think Tommy will be will be asking for under his uh, under his tree? Yeah, it's an obvious thing to say, but uh, three points, six, nine. Can we keep going? Twelve. <laughs> we do need we do need a couple. Of, I mean, I'd love to get a couple of back to back wins because that would lift. That would give us breathing space because if everybody, everybody lifts. Uh, give us a good morale 
boost morale and it would suddenly give us it gives a whole new complexion really on, on the next few weeks and months so hopefully we could i mean hopefully we'll play on boxing day because the weather lately hasn't been great hopefully we'll play on boxing day uh, against harrogate and it'd be great to get, get, get a win great to get, get, get a win in that match hopefully gainsborough first on saturday get a draw down there that'd be handy and then hopefully beat harrogate on boxing day uh, be Harrogate home the way that'd be fantastic but then and then we have uh, as you say Mr Gray coming back so we'll see but we just need some wins that's what we need Kev well I'll, I'll be really good this year so I want a clean <laughs> sheet and three points on Saturday at the end of the end I, I think that's you know I, I think without wanting to labour the point that is probably one of the most important games we've had you know in the last few months and we, we, we absolutely have to get something from that game Got it. Agree with that. Agree with that. Well, good. Let's hope you have all been good boys this year because uh, if we could get any of those Christmas wishes, I think we'd all be uh, pretty happy. So there we are. Another eventful year at Darlington Football Club almost over, as is this podcast. Thanks go to our friends here at the Forum Music Centre Darlington, another not-for-profit social enterprise for the use of this studio. To all our listeners and fellow fellow media volunteers, to Simon for the view around the league and Mike for his work with Robbie Painter, and not least this evening's panel, Michael, Kev, Craig and Andy. So I've been Stuart Armstrong and this has been the Darlow Fans Radio Podcast. <laughs>